Good morning. Usually the 815 crowd's the one we have to shut down on the greet time. I uh, barely made it up, my way up here uh, talking to you all. So good to see you. We do have a few uh, extra people in the room. So we had a little bit of a thing this morning. Pastor Christie's gone and Jason woke up sick. So we've got our youth in the room with us. And let's just celebrate that. That's an awesome thing. We, we love you guys all the time, uh, but we get to express it today, and so glad uh, that uh, you're here. And it actually kind of works out, because in a little bit, I'm going to invite some feedback, and we're going to use technology to do that. So for two reasons. One, when we use technology, you might guys might need to help somebody, uh, kind of like turn to your neighbor and... Um, be community together. Um, but more importantly than that, uh, the feedback piece that uh, is uh, what I'm looking for is something actually I really am thrilled uh, to have your perspective on here in, in a little bit. So, so grateful that you are here. Uh, as we think about the generous life, today I want to think about that generous life as a missional life. A life of us following Jesus wherever he leads us and getting us into places we never would have expected, ultimately to be able to give our lives away and find that in that journey is, is the joy that we were looking for anyway. Someone has said, don't ask me if I'm a Christian, ask my neighbor. And that gets to the missional life, I think, that we're talking about. That simple statement helps me remember Why following Jesus matters. The true test is not just what happens in me, but what happens through me. Not what happens only in us, but also through us. And so we could ask some questions as we think about that missional life. One of them is, why follow Jesus? It's, you know, sort of basic in our our understanding of things. Why do we follow Jesus? And, you know, I think it's important to have maybe thought that through, and not just so that we kind of have it in our heads, but that we are kind of stoking the energy of that so that we never lose the power of it. And so today I want to tell a story here in a bit about um, the the first call of the disciples. What we find in that story that is still the way it works today as Jesus calls us. Why follow Jesus? And it is somehow that uh, it, it impacts the world through us, right? that we would be so loved that the world would get loved. So that through my own sense of uh, belonging and understanding of who I really am, then the people around me will discover that they belong and discover who they really are. That through my own process of healing, that other people would be healed. Through my own acts of love, others might see the tangible love of God expressed somehow. That we would be blessed to be a blessing. Dallas Willard said, Christian discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. And that is a a holistic thing. It's how we not only just imitate Jesus or do what Jesus would do, but how we embody the love of God. We become part of it somehow. And that's why we follow Jesus. So I'm glad we solved that. We got that handled. Because I think there's another question that's similar and related. Why do we follow Jesus together? And that one might not be quite as obvious to us. The question is, why the church? And I've been asking leaders around our our congregation that in the last month, why the church? Why does our mission matter? And and I'm asking that, I want to ask it today, not because we want to pat ourselves on the back and walk out of here thinking, gosh, we're awesome. I'm so glad I reminded myself of how awesome I am and how awesome we are. I think it's more so that we can stoke the fire 
of mission. That the greatest threat to our life together is mediocrity or sort of becoming complacent or just familiar with this radical thing that has happened and is happening in us that will go through life with a sense of scarcity rather than acting out of God's abundance, that our discipleship and our, then our community would be a response to amazing, abundant grace. So I was at the dentist this week. I haven't been for a little bit. I kind of like missed an appointment and then, you know, one thing leads to another. So it'd been about a year and a half and um, I'm confessing that in front of you. Go, go make your dentist. Somebody's like, okay, come on, make my dentist appointment. And there was a new dental hygienist. Somebody had not met before. And so, you know, sort of getting to know each other and, you know, asking the questions. So eventually she says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And then she wanted to ask some church questions and how different denominations are different from each other. And then she said, so tell me about your church. And she paused. And so I answered and it was this. Why did they do that? Like, her, your hand is in my mouth. Ask me this, like, existential, important question. What do I say? That's literally how it went, too. I'm not exaggerating. And finally, you know, she's sort of like, oh, yeah, I got to give you a chance to respond. And we talked about it. So we, I think the conversation is important, not just for the people who are hearing, but also for us who are answering the question, why church? So in a minute, I'm going to give you the chance to answer that question, and the challenge is going to be to do it in one word. Actually, we're going to give you the chance to do it with one word three times. So what I mean is, if you can think of three words of why the mission of the church matters and boil it down to those three words... Uh, we're going to give you the chance to put it up here. Uh, so th this is on the top of your screen, uh, um, on the screen, and it's at the top of this if it helps you. If, it's not, if that's not working, there are some QR codes, but on the one that says scan to participate in the poll during worship on your order of worship or here. We're going to give you the chance to respond to the question, why church? What is your Why? But as you're having, you know, kind of working out the technology of that and kind of figuring out your answer, I'm going to invite some of our lay leaders forward because I feel like it's important for us all to be part of the conversation. And I want to sort of, to rem sort of remind us all that we have people who give themselves to our church in lots of different ways, and some of whom have, do so in positions of leadership and some that maybe are, they're not positional leaders, but they're, they're, that our life together isn't just, uh, you know, the, the, the staff or the pastor answering. This is really mostly about us answering that together, the synergy of spurring one another on to love and good deeds so that we keep our missional fire. So I want to invite two of our leaders, John Minton and Andy Crutcher forward, who kind of said uh, that they would be willing to share from their perspective about the why that drives them. So would you welcome John and Andy forward? Who absolutely love public speaking. It's why they're, you know, they get up in the mornings. So appreciate you being willing to kind of put yourself out here, yeah, and to use a microphone. Uh, to do that, yeah. and uh, to kind of just tell us a little bit about your connection to the church first, and um, it should be on. You want to test that? Yes. Yeah, it's on. So, um, John, thank you. You've been here a little bit longer than maybe some folks. Just so, about anybody in the room, I think, probably, yeah. as I look across the room. Somebody said, Jim Robinson said, wait a minute, you're an 11 o'clock person, aren't you? And I said, yeah. 
I'm part of the tie-wearing faction of this church. <laughs> there are a few of us relics left, maybe. Uh, I have been uh, associated by church. Uh, you know, I read years ago, uh, Bishop Williman wrote a book called Why Am I United Methodist? And it was his simple answer on page one was because I was born that way. And so that's my story. Why am I here, LaDonna? I was born this way. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. But I have been a part of Broadway since literally it was on Broadway. It used to be, you all know where Scooter's Coffee Place is over there on the corner of Broadway and the bypass. We used to call it Broadway and Laurel. Uh, it, uh, that's where we started. Uh, my parents brought me here in 1958. And I haven't been here completely ever since. But I've been here most uh, ever since. Uh, I was baptized in the sanctuary here. Uh, I was uh, married here in the sanctuary. My two children were baptized in the sanctuary here. My parents' funeral was in the sanctuary. So this is holy ground for me in my life. And, you know, why church? It, it has been my community. You know, the John Wesley teaches us of the means of grace, and the means of grace, of course, are participation in corporate worship on a regular basis, participation in the sacraments of the church on a regular basis, and participation in a Christian community. And for me, in my life, in the life of my family, this has just been part of our fabric. And so we're grateful uh, for the many ways that God has blessed us as a part of this community, and this is where I learn. And I figure that, you know, one of these days, if I just keep coming back, you know, may, maybe, maybe I'll get it. Maybe it'll take. We're supposed <laughs> to be moving on right to perfection. Well, I don't know exactly what that means, but I know I've got to be working on it. And the way I work on it is coming here keep, and being a part of this. Keep community. showing up. Yeah. yeah. Just keep showing up. Yeah. So, Andy, I appreciate you answering the question, and you're kind of going to take us in a little bit of a, a little bit of, in terms of our mission, like what we do together. And you had a story that kind of helped uh, help me understand that. So, you're going to share from that place. Yes. So, um, many many years ago, I grew up in Lexington and attended a really large church there. And one of my core memories of growing up there was. We were at what we called big church, right? The adult church, which is kind of funny that the youth are in here today, but I was much younger. And um, can just remember really uh, misbehaving and not paying attention to church. Uh, I didn't really understand what was going on. I was probably eight, nine years old. And um, on this one given Sunday, our pastor said, I would like to invite Miss Kentucky up to this stage. And in 1980, Miss Kentucky was a big deal, right? I mean, it was like, wow, we've got a movie star, a celebrity, like a big deal at church. So I was ready to pay attention. And she went up to the stage and she said, I'm going to ask you all to participate. And so today, 40 years later, you guys get to participate. Adam said you would. So <laughs> what I'd like is going to sound kind of strange is I'd like you to scoot as far as you can over to the right side of your chair. If you're on the aisle, don't fall off. Very good, okay. Now I want you to scoot all the way to the left side of your chair. Very nice. Now go back to the middle where you started. <laughs> you're like, where is she going with this? Well, what she said when everybody finished was, 
Thank you very much. Collectively, we all just dusted 200 pews in a matter of seconds. <laughs> so in my 10-year-old brain, it finally connected with me that as a church, as a community, when we use our gifts and our talents and we all join in together, what a big difference we can make. And I feel like that is really what has happened here at Broadway. And I feel like my family is blessed to be a part of that community. And we have been able to share our gifts and our talents. And we have made so many friends and so many connections because of that love. And I was talking to my husband and I said, I don't really know how to describe that feeling in a 10-year-old's voice, but in my 50-year-old voice almost, what I call that is collective generosity, collective giving, collective love. And that's what we're supposed to do, I feel like. We're really supposed to come together and use what God has given us to serve him and serve everyone outside of our walls. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Judge, you want to kind of wrap us up here as we think about the missional part of, you know, you sort of yeah. said this is the holy ground for us. And so we could think of that as sort of just inward focus, but it's not. So yeah, would that's, you kind that's of... what over the years, uh, of course, I was watching Andy. She got you all, all participating. When you make people move in church, that's kind of makes them nervous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I spot, got my spot and that's where I've been sitting for years. And I don't want to move right or left. But, but what, what has been so exciting for me is I look back over the life of the church that I've been able to be a part of for, for, for many, many years it is the life of the church outside the walls. I'm looking at the handwriting on the wall, literally, where it says, you can't see it. Behind you, it says, invite, grow, and serve. Uh, and that's written in, in Rick Bard's hand. Actually, we took a picture of it and put it up there. But the serve part is what I have just been so um, so proud of this, 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 this community of faith because you do serve outside the, 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 the missions to um, the, the Early Learning Center and people who come and bring their children and then they decide, well, this is a good place. We'll stay and we'll get involved in what's going on. There are so many ways uh, that we're involved outside the walls. A couple of few weeks back, we were in... Uh, our council meeting out at Greenwood, and uh, Adam was reporting that he'd been a meeting with the Chamber of Commerce, and the Chamber is calling on us to uh, to, to address this uh, this childcare need. There's a great uh, need for for early learning and childcare. We have we know how to do that, and the question is, do we know how to do it on a larger scale, and can we do that? What a challenge for us to to be able to influence lives. Uh, outside this, this, uh, you know, we don't just come here. We come here because we enjoy the community of this place, but we leave here uh, to serve the community in so many ways. And it's this church has been such a, a blessing to me, but to people who don't come here, but feel the influence that you uh, exert all over this community. So, thank, thank you. you both for sharing. Would you uh, thank them as well? Good job. And you all did a wonderful job. And rather than having you all come up one by one with the microphone and give your answer, which we could do and you would hate, uh, why don't we do that through technology? So uh, you hopefully have been able to find this Minty poll. 
and if you haven't yet started putting your answers in, uh, we're, we're going to do that. We're going to pray that all this works. So we either will give us immediate results, which we you know would love, or we're going to pull that up a little bit later. So um, it, how many of you have started putting, have, have already put your words in? Let me just kind of gauge where we are. Okay, most of us. Is there anybody that's like, Lord, help me? Like, I see that hand. No, okay. All right, so one out of, you know, 250 is not bad, Mike, right? Yeah, I need your perspective, though, so you might have to give me, like, the paper copy of it if it doesn't. It's just not loading on your phone. Okay, we're going to take up a collection and buy Mike an upgraded phone or something. All right, let's see, uh, let's see what we're getting here, guys. And, you know, in this, uh, this version of it, the bigger words are words that we use more often so, and at the center. So the larger the word and the more central it is, the more it is important to who we are. Community being the number one word uh, around that with, uh, is family and love and service and faith. Worship's pretty big over there on the, the left side. Jesus, grace, support, joy, thankful acceptance, accountability, prayer, eternity, involvement. You all pick some good words. And you know, there's a way to talk about the call to discipleship, which is from a different place, from a less celebratory place, from a less gracious place, from a less generous place that calls us to do what we're supposed to do because Jesus demands it. Uh, And um, from a place of, you know, whatever, legalism, shame, guilt, uh, frustration, a sense that we just won't ever get it right, so why, why even try? But when we talk about the generous life, we imagine getting to those words through the call of Jesus, through Jesus uh, literally speaking our name, and then all of life being a reorientation to that call to, uh, to him and to a gracious response to his abundant grace, to his abundance, to his goodness. That's a different way of going about it. And, um, and so I want to hear that today as we come to the scripture, finally getting to the Bible here. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we hear Jesus calling the first disciples. And I think it is helpful to go back to these original moments and then hear that same call to us. So Luke 5, 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or this is this, also the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. It is a story of abundance and generosity. When Simon Peter, who would be called Peter, saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Uh, And that that bold act, they left everything and followed him, is the act of discipleship. It is the statement 
that is uh, Simon's response. Because you say so, I will. He follows Jesus, both in casting out the nets and then leaving those nets to leave literally everything and follow. Sometimes when we read that discipleship story, as we read in the Gospels, we wonder where they, almost where that comes from. How do how did they? I don't know if you've ever thought that reading the Bible. How do they come to that kind of decision? And, and I think that question is important because it gets at how we come to the same decision. And and actually, Luke helps us maybe a little bit more than the other Gospels as he tells this story, because this is Luke five. And if you go back just one chapter, Luke four, you get a lot of context. You realize what's going on here. And one of the assumptions maybe is that the disciples met Jesus in that moment and made that decision instantaneously. Instantaneously, and that's not what happens in Luke's Gospel. And he helps us see that it's probably how it actually worked overall. In Luke 4, we read that Jesus shows up in Simon's hometown. And if you go through that story, there are a few encounters that Simon has already had with Jesus. One of which is when um, Simon uh, is in synagogue and, um, you know, essentially in worship, and Jesus shows up. And um, what we hear in, in Luke 4 is that he, he taught with authority, but then he healed someone with an unclean spirit. So essentially, they showed up for church, and someone was healed right in the middle of church, and that was church. Uh, that, was, that was worship that day. Well, that is the start of their encounter with Jesus there in Capernaum. Uh, I, we were in Capernaum on October 7th, and we got to see the site where that very synagogue was. Uh, it was uh, actually a 4th century synagogue built right on the spot of the one that's recorded here in the gospel. And then we got to see Simon's house, and Simon's house is about 100 yards, maybe 200 yards away from, from that spot. So they're pretty close together. So you can imagine a little town like this, Capernaum, it's kind of in the center of like a, a, a lot of different communities and there are lots of different kind of people kind of mesh there. But it's a small place and you kind of like walk out the door and you're at somebody's house. It's a small town. You can, might, might think of small towns in South Central Kentucky. You can imagine if that happened in church, what happens immediately after church? Everybody goes out the door and they go tell people. And that's what happens as Luke tells the story, except for Simon who we imagine walking to the back of the the sanctuary and saying, hey, Jesus, why don't you come to my house? That is their first personal encounter, and Jesus goes. We we know that he goes, uh, and and that he goes and he he meets Simon's mother-in-law. So this tells us something. It tells us a few things about Simon's life. He's a fisherman. Uh, and actually, that's a pretty big industry in the time of Jesus. If you make the assumption that Simon didn't have anything going on business-wise, he kind of did. Uh, it would be unique for him to be called a disciple uh, because the, generally that was kind of sealed maybe in your teenage years, but he'd already found his career path. He knew what he was doing, and he was successful at it. He had partners in his business. He also had a mother-in-law, which generally means what? Don't, you know, I know what you're going to say. That he generally means that he has a wife, right? So he's probably married, so many jokes, and that we won't make. And uh, he, he might have even had kids. Just a thought, because later we're going to remember that he, he left everything and followed. If the assumption is that Simon really didn't have anything better to do with his life, I think it's the wrong assumption, that this, this was easy. So it only heightens, actually, what we read about and what, what does actually happen. So, okay, so the back to, to Simon's house. 
Uh, we don't know if this is why he was invited, but we find out that Simon's mother-in-law has a fever, and so she, Jesus heals her. That's a pretty big deal to have happen in your family. Uh, and that the very next thing we, we see is that she gets up and starts serving people. It seems like they could have let her rest a little bit longer, right? Yeah, so anyway, she's uh, serving them, and then you hear a knock on the door, and the door opens, and all the people that have gone out the door from the church have now come back with all their friends and family, people who need an encounter with Jesus, and they stand in the doorway in the entry in Simon's house, some version of that, all night long as Jesus heals people. And Simon is sort of like a bystander, right? He just kind of gets caught up in this. He's watching it happen. You can imagine Simon going to work the next day and trying to make sense of all of that. And we don't know if it was that day or the next day, or but relatively soon, he does. He goes to work at night, uh, which was the best time to fish, and he's rolling in, hasn't caught anything all night long. And they're, they've got the boats to the side, and they're washing the nets, which means they're done. You can't leave the nets dirty. And so they're going, they're already in the process of just kind of closing that up. And Jesus is there. In Luke 5, we turn around and we hear this from Jesus' perspective. He comes in and there's some boats there by the seashore or the lakeshore and uh, some fishermen washing their nets. And so he invites Simon to take him out because the acoustics would have been better. And he was going to teach from the boat. And there again, Simon's just sort of like, you know, he's in charge of the boat, right? But he's just right there. And he's listening to the things that Jesus is saying. And right there in the point of the sermon where you kind of stop paying attention, right? He hears Jesus speak his name. That never happens to you. But uh, it's just in the moment where it's sort of like, oh, maybe this is for them. Jesus says, okay, Simon. And he turns back to him and he says, what? We're going to throw our nets out. So all of a sudden we've shifted from, from teaching to fishing again. And so Simon, uh, what Simon says next is really the moment of, discipleship. It's the moment when it goes from him kind of watching this from the side to being caught up in it and brought into it. And uh, what, what he says essentially is, we fished all night. We've already got the nets clean. We haven't caught anything. But if because you say so, I will. There are two ways to read that. And One of them is sort of to think of Jesus as an armchair quarterback who doesn't know anything about fishing. And you can't read the inflection and tone in the scripture. You can't, you don't know for sure. So it could have been, because you say so, I will. And he's pretty reluctant about it. But what do you think? Having heard the context, having watched Jesus do all of these things, and he's just right there seeing it all go down, Watching it all happen, I tend to think it's not that at all. I think it is something else. I think out of just a sheer astonishment of who Jesus is, Simon says, there is no logical reason to do this. Every other reason would say no, but because of you, yes. Because it's you, yes. And in that, when we talk about the generous life, don't you hear the generosity of that? Already out of, of, of a sense of who Jesus is and the abundance of that, he says, okay, because you, it's you saying so. Because it's you, we're going to do this. And out of that little response to that generosity and abundance, what happens? Even greater abundance. 
fish upon fish. So many fish, they didn't even have to lie about how many fish they caught that day. It's, it's intended to be a story of overwhelming possibility and abundance. My friend Pastor Wayne said his favorite word related to Jesus was possibility. And he would say it with an Alabama accent. I can't, I can't even pretend to, to, to do that. Possibility. Because you say so, I will. And in that, more than ever, than, than ever would have been dreamed, more possibility. Because you say so, I will. It's been said that we have a mission because there's someone who sends, or better said, we have a calling. In Christian discipleship, we have a calling because there's a caller. This is not us sort of finding our own vocational discernment through a process of inward introspection and self-reliance. Our part of it is essential, but it is in response to someone else who has already made an invitation. And that invitation is for all of us. This is Christian discipleship, Jesus kind of getting up into our world and then inviting us out of being a bystander in some way or another. And then our ability to somehow find in that experience that statement, because you are the one saying, so I will. You know, um, let's push pause on this moment in Simon's life because we, we also know a lot more of Simon's story, don't we? We know that he did follow Jesus, and we know that he was pretty bold in his following of Jesus, and that he would be the first to say things like, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, on you, on that statement of faith, we're going to build the church. And then we know Simon would fail at that, not able to live up to his own expectations. And we know that Jesus would bring him right back in and reinstate him, and that Simon, was a, who became Peter, was a leader in the church. And tradition says, uh, though this isn't in Scripture, that Peter was martyred for the faith, that he died around 63 or 64 uh, after, after uh, Christ, and that, that was part of the persecution in Rome of Nero. And that when he was, when he was um, killed, uh, that he was crucified, and that as he was being crucified, he, he asked if they would, the tradition says, that they would crucify him upside down because he didn't deserve to die in the manner of his Lord. What we know about Simon is that every moment in his life from this moment on, from this moment at the seashore, success or failure pushed aside Every single aspect of his life was somehow now in relation to that statement, because you say so, I will. Because there is a calling, there, there is a calling because there's a caller. And so he, he does, he, he throws out the net, the net is full, and then Jesus says, okay, now that you've caught fish, we're going to make you fish for people. It is just a succinct way of saying we're going to reorient every aspect of your life, your relationship to God, your relationship to each other, to other people, your relationship to physical things. And we imagine all of that physical world as in the rearview mirror as they leave everything and follow. If we thought that was easy, I don't, I don't think it was. He left everything as awesome and wonderful and full as his life was. He saw that there was something fuller, a, a, a bigger story 
uh, a thing that we all need, which is called transcendence, how we fit into the larger thing and the opportunity to live into a story of abundance, of generosity. We hear this in the very next chapter in Luke 6 is where we'll end. As Jesus is teaching now these new disciples, one of the first things he says in Luke 6, starting with verse 38, and so in the the message version says it this way, give away your life and you'll find it given back. Not merely given back, but given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting is the way generosity begets generosity or abundance leads to more abundance. A generous life is a missional life, and a missional life is a generous life. This is all about reorienting life into that call of Jesus and finding within us as individuals that statement, because you say so, I will. But then imagining that together, imagining a community of people who say the same thing and find in the synergy of that in generosity, begetting generosity and abundance, begetting abundance, something that we could not have expected. And what I see is people continuing to say yes to that, saying yes to that part, not just the individual part, but the church part, the communal part. What we have here is the opportunity to keep saying yes. And I see you doing that even when it hasn't been easy, even when you've had to test that. Whenever you've had to renew that, I see people continuing to show up for that part of the mission and to not lose hope for that as it it has potential in the world. Here's how I began. Why follow Jesus? And I said something to the version, to the, to the, some version of, so that I would be so loved that God would love the world through me. That out of my own sense of belonging, others would discover how much they belong. That through my own healing, other people would be healed. That's why Jesus. And you know, why church is very similar to that. It's a a related thing. And at the heart of it, very simply, we can't be that alone. The way of Jesus is not something to be lived alone. And I just think of all the possibility that comes out of us saying that same yes together. So as the ushers come forward and as we prepare to give, let's pray together. God, we hear you speaking our name. We imagine you walking up to us on this, the, the lakeshore. And maybe we've had enough experiences of you that we have a sense of who you are and have a sense of who it is that's asking. And some of us have had this experience and, and, and know what it's like to say yes, because you say so, I will and who have somehow gotten up and followed, left everything and followed. Some of us did that and maybe have lived for different reasons and have come up with different answers. Some of us maybe have never heard it that exact way. But for all of us today, that's where we are. Recognizing how much it matters for us to recognize who it is that's asking. To to realize the possibility and the abundance and the potential of that generous invitation, that amazing grace. Some of us maybe are like Peter, we have 
followed, but we've struggled or fallen. And we hear you calling us just the same. Maybe some of us have been following, but maybe not with the passion and intensity that we would want. We hear you calling us to throw out into the deeper water. God, my prayer today is for the mission of Broadway United Methodist Church. And that it might be grounded in a group of people who find their yes to your call. To a community of those who spur one another on to love and good deeds. And to the possibility of those who hear that call even now. For the sake of your world. Come Holy Spirit, we pray, and work in us as we give and as we live so that we might do that out of the abundance of your grace and so that it might affect the world through us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.